we continue following the parallel accounts of King Solomon and we're in the midst of the process of having built and then opening the temple. So the first part here where Solomon blesses the people is in 2 Chronicles 6 and 1 Kings 8. You'll see there. We'll compare. They're practically the same, but we go through them at the same time. Then Solomon said, Yahweh said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. Now this goes back to uh, Exodus, the thick cloud, the dark cloud, and from there, his glory would be seen and, and would shine out. But I have built you an exalted house to dwell in, a settled place for you to dwell in forever. And the king turned his face about and blessed all the congregation of Israel. And all the congregation of Israel stood so the glory of Yahweh has, uh, settles into the Holy of Holies and now Solomon will not only bless the people but he will also dedicate uh, the temple in his prayer that we'll see here in a few minutes. And he said, blessed be Yahweh, blessed be Yahweh God of Israel who spoke with his mouth to David my father and has fulfilled it with his hand, saying. Now, two things to note here in this passage with regard to uh, Solomon's discourse to the people and then his prayer to Yahweh. And those two things are, number one, I am adorned with a spider web. Uh, number one, the faithfulness of Yahweh and the truthfulness of his word. What he says is true. Some of this that's being fulfilled now dates back hundreds of years as to what happens in this, uh, in this era, in, in this uh, scenario. But Solomon here is very careful as David was, if you'll remember when we looked at that back during David's lifetime when he was, when he was setting the stage, so to speak, for the construction of the temple, very careful to say this is all of Yahweh. So the implication is we are instruments of Yahweh. We are used by him as he sees fit. We have this particular purpose and it is the power, however, of Yahweh. It is the force and full fulfillment of Yahweh. And it just so happens that he uses us for the process. Now we stop there for just a second and uh, think about the characters of the Bible as they're presented to us. And it's interesting to note that patriarchs, for example, back in the early part of the Old Testament, and then, of course, prophets and kings had a, had a specific course in life 
designated to fulfill the purpose of God. And through the work of Yahweh into the lives of those people and out from them, for example, Solomon, the world is affected. God continues fulfilling here his promise with regard to Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob. God continues that here. Now they are the strongest as a nation they have ever been in Solomon's reign as king. And of course, this was these times and what's happening here, all of this is promised by Yahweh. And you'll see that, again, Solomon is careful to say this is done by the hand of Yahweh. Every, every king, every faithful servant in either testament would say, you know, this is, this is the dedication of my life. This is what Yahweh has put me in this world to do. Uh, a, a special care, Abraham, well, I mean, you can go all the way back, but if you want to start with Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and move from there and the purpose in Genesis 49 of Judah, for example, of the 12 sons and um, the prophets as they come along and then the kings, a specific task that uh, would strengthen the work of Yahweh in the world through his people and they were strengthened through his servants. In this case, Solomon, if you want to look at it in a humanistic sense, Solomon was the greatest man in the world at this point in time. All of this wisdom, the other leaders of the world coming to him for advice, all of the money and the wealth that he's able to produce, the prosperity that he's able to produce through his, uh, through his people and all that he has accomplished and, and then this great structure. Yahweh has separated and sanctified Solomon for this particular purpose. Now this goes all the way through the Bible. It's an example for all of us. How within the work of the kingdom that spans through human history to be culminated in the millennial kingdom and then finally to be delivered over into the new heaven and the new earth, all of us in our time have, have specific details about our lives if we are God's people uh, that we're equipped to do and that we are called to do uh, and that we are compelled and unctioned to do in our lives. This is Solomon and Solomon points this out continually through both his blessing of the people and the, dedicate, the, the dedicatory prayer that he makes. Now in verse five, since the day that I brought my people forth from the land of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to build a house that my name might be therein. Neither did I choose a man to be prince over my people, Israel. The point is they are traveling, they were traveling to the place that God had promised Abraham. It was just a promise of grace. Abram, Abram had done no great thing. He was not even a man of faith when God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. He, was, he worshiped a moon God. Uh, but uh, the grace of God overwhelms their lives and the call of God 
draws them into his purpose. And so, of course, they wound up in Egypt and then they come out from Egypt, not as a loose knit group of family members, but as a mighty nation that grew into a nation over those 400 years. And all during their history, Yahweh has never chosen a city out of, uh, out of the tribes of Israel since they came over under Joshua and, and so forth, uh, and never has chosen a man to this point to be according to the, to the blessing up to the time that he did to be prince over his people Israel. Here is the point to be, the points to be made. It is all of Yahweh. I chose Jerusalem that my name might be there. And I chose David to be over my people, Israel. Neither of these divine appointments from Yahweh happened quickly. It took, uh, it took quite some time, it took years for David, first of all, to become king of Judah and then for the rest of the tribes to come and then he would be king over all of Israel. That was not an easy task. There were battles to be fought. Uh, there were uh, troublesome times. Uh, there were enemies that uh, came after David. Of course, this is the way it always is with God's appointed servants. But he chose David to be over his people Israel. And then David, obviously under the guidance of Yahweh, conquered the city of the Jebusites, Jerusalem, and made it the city of David. And there, Yahweh would, uh, would choose Jerusalem for the place where his name might be exalted and the people there by the temple would worship the true and living God. So it's all the choosing of Yahweh. It didn't just happen. Now it occurs over a long period of time. Uh, David had conquered Nations and had been in battles and had struggled with Saul. David had done a lot of things even after the covenant came from Yahweh to David, the Davidic covenant. And David conquered a lot of cities before he conquered Jerusalem and made it the city of David. But it was all in the divine plan of God. It worked itself out, obviously. It didn't work itself out. Yahweh worked it out. And it was in my father David's heart, the desire to build a house for the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And Yahweh said to David, my father, since it was in your heart to build a house to my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who will come forth out of your loins, he shall build the house for my name. Now you will see this little phrase, my name, several times in this general part of scripture, especially in the establishment of the temple. The name of, of Yahweh is the name, the covenant name that he establishes with his people. This is 
this is something that uh, is unique for his people. And so the temple would be for his name, the name. That's a very important aspect of the study of what I would call theology proper, namely the doctrine of God. And within the doctrine of God, uh, the doctrine of God, the son. So he has a house. It was in the heart of David. Obviously Yahweh put it there in David's heart. This begins the ball to rolling with regard to the building of a temple. David sort of lays the foundation of it all in a metaphorical sense, but Solomon, of course, completes it. And it is all as Yahweh works it out. It starts in the heart of David. And of course, Yahweh blesses his desire and his thought, but won't let him being a man of war build the temple. It has to be the man of peace who is course, Solomon, you did well that it was in your heart. Verse nine, nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who will come forth out of your loins, he shall build the house. What? For my name. And Yahweh has established his word. Two things that really should make our hearts leap for joy here that continues and especially is emphasized, number one, the establishment of the word of God, and number two, the exaltation of the name of the only true and living God who has his people. Now, there were other, there were other so-called gods and goddesses, Elilim, they were demonic, they were demon gods, uh, strongly influenced, of course, by the presence of, of demons and, of course, Satan. But these are God's people. God has established his covenant. And his covenant to always have his people continues even to this day. And the work that his church does now, so that the purpose of God in the establishment of the earthly kingdom and the final fulfillment of the boundaries of the Abrahamic covenant with regard to the promised land to be fulfilled under the son of David, the reign of the king of kings, this thing still continues. And so the story moves here and we're still moving as, as part of the will and purpose of God so plainly seen here. And two things are important just like then in our hearts. Number, number one, the strength of the word of God the establishment of the word of God. And number two, uh, the greatness of who he is, of his name. And I have set there the ark, okay? The ark is the centerpiece of the whole thing. We've discussed what the ark is and what it represents. Of course, it is there where, where the presence of Yahweh is. It, 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 of course, has as its lid, the mercy seat. It is, it is the best kind of wood in that day, in that place, covered with pure gold. Speaking of the humanity and the deity 
of the Christ of God, the Savior, carrying the law, the perfect law on the inside and then permitting the blood to be spilled on the mercy seat, showing that it is the will of God for atonement to be made for his people, uh, that their sins be forgiven. Well, this is, this is Christ himself is, is uh, illustrated here in the ark and it is the center of everything. And it is the, it is the very, uh, it is, it is the very outshowing of the covenant of Yahweh, as it says here, where in the covenant of Yahweh, which he made with the sons uh, wherein is the covenant of Yahweh, which he made with the sons of Israel. Now here's how first Kings looks at the same thing here. Then Solomon said, Yahweh said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. I have surely built you a house to dwell in, a settled place for you to dwell in forever. And the king turned his face about and blessed all of the congregation of Israel. And all of the congregation of Israel then stood. And he said, blessed be Yahweh, God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth unto David, my father, and has fulfilled it with his hands, saying, since the day that I brought forth my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to build a house that my name might be therein, but I chose David to be over my people Israel. And it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of Yahweh, God of Israel. And Yahweh said to David, my father, since it was in your heart to build a house unto my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son that shall come forth out of your loins, he shall build the house for my name. Now remember, Solomon is addressing the people here. Uh, and bringing the blessing of God to the people. And Yahweh has established his word that he spoke. There's that phrase again. And I have risen up in the place of David, my father, and sit on the throne of Israel as Yahweh spoke and have built a house for the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And I have set there a place for the ark wherein is the covenant of the Lord, Yahweh, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so next then we go to second, back to Second Chronicles, uh, chapter six, and this is a rather lengthy passage. Here is Solomon's prayer of dedication uh, that continues to teach us of the strength of the relationship uh, of Yahweh with his with his people, the importance of his word, and the exaltation of his name. Back to first, uh, Second Chronicles 6, beginning in verse 12 now. And he stood before the altar of Yahweh, opposite all the congregation of Israel, and he spread forth his hands. For Solomon had made a, a copper laver or basin, which he had placed within the forecourt, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high. And he stood on it and kneeled on his knees opposite the congregation of Israel, and he spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, Yahweh, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth who keeps the covenant and the kindness of your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept for your servant, David, my father, that which you spoke to him. There it is again. And you see that word, uh, that word uh, kept 
is, a, is an interesting word. Uh, and in, in the, uh, in uh, shmor, um, it's the same Hebrew word as the Greek word that we've studied in the New Testament where the servants of Christ keep his word. Tereo is the word, it's a, it's a military word. It means to guard it or to protect it. To, to lift it up and to make it the most important thing and not let anyone assail it. So to guard or keep, and that's, that's, that's what he's mean, uh, meant here, uh, who keeps the covenant and the kindness of your servant who walk before you uh, with all of their heart. And you have kept for your servant, David, my father, that which you spoke to him and you spoke with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. So God saw to it that his word, which he established, which he spoke, which he had proclaimed to his people through his servants, God saw to it that his word is fulfilled. Now here's, here's the thing to think about and to put it in perspective for you and me. These things were promises that were distant promises in the past and they weren't perhaps that detailed. They were general promises, but they were a promise that the people were to hold high and to keep and it involved the covenant. As time moves along, God strengthens that word. He adds other details to it and the point being he he fulfills what he said he would do. What you spoke with your mouth, you fulfilled with your, with your hand as it is this day. So God establishes his word and his word goes into action all the way through every generation, even into this generation. Now, the word of God is a completed thing today. You can't add to or take away from the word of God. Of course, if you're a believer and you know this, and so, you know, we do our best to try to understand the, the word of God as best we can and to see how God is working and how God is in action, uh, actively working out his word today. So we're living in the times of the Gentiles. We're living in the age or dispensation, the stewardship of time that belongs to the church and there are, there are things that are promised re with regard to the church and we're moving right along in that word and it is actively being worked out. So you and I anxiously look for the return of the Lord and we know uh, that uh, the Lord has said there'd be certain things to happen. Um, I, was, I was studying today uh, in Second Thessalonians, and the word apostasia, to the, the standing away. Apo means away from, stasis means to stand, to stand away from. Something that had been established in a, in a life or a culture, it would seem, uh, that, uh, that was cast aside and not seen as important, therefore to stand away. And so the painful truth is, that um, the catching away of the church and 
the, the revelation of the Antichrist, those things don't come until after there's a, a great standing off. We, we live there today. We, we're there today. Um, the, there's a difference between Christendom and Christianity. Christianity is the real thing. Christendom is, is, you know, it's all of the cathedrals and the rituals and man-made traditions and all that. And within Christendom, hopefully there are some who are saved, but the elect of God in the church, they belong to Christianity. That's how I see it anyway. And there's a, within Christendom, if you will, within Christendom, there is a standing off. There is a falling away or a standing away from uh, the glorious gospel of, of Christ and the precious word of God. And those who have been in the culture of Christendom are standing off from, uh, from the very foundation of what we are in Christ. Well, we're told these things have to happen. Uh, we're told of other things, distress of nations with perplexity, great delusion uh, uh, among people. And we're, we're experiencing this. You can't believe anything unless you believe the Bible. You just have to stay with the Bible. I've, I've looked at how world leaders are changing the meanings of, of, of words, you know, they change history and change, change different things and they flip things upside down. That's a reprobate mind. That's what the Bible calls a reprobate mind where everything's flipped upside down. False is true and true is false and so forth. Well, this is what was spoken with the mouth of the Lord. There's no more adding to the word of God in our day. And so all we can do is enjoy watching God at work fulfilling what he said was going to happen. And we find ourselves in the exciting period of history where God is really, I mean, you know, I'm 71. I'm seeing things I never thought I could ever see in public or private or among leaders, or government leaders or locally. I never would have thought that people would agree to things. It just it never even crossed my mind about things that today are a big part of, of culture and so-called leadership. So it makes us understand more about, if we go back now to Solomon's day, you said it and now you are fulfilling it with your hand. And part of the fulfillment was to finally raise the son of David, Solomon, the man of peace, and give him a brilliant mind and give him a a desire to study uh, all of the crafts and sciences of the world. And if you read Ecclesiastes, you'll know that Solomon was brilliant in, in, any, in any field of science or craft that you want to think about. He, he said, I set my mind to study this and I did. And I did these things and they were greater than anybody could do them. And this was Solomon, the brilliance of Solomon. And it was, it was all that he might come together with a sharply focused, brilliant mind and bring to the world the temple of Yahweh, unlike anything the world had ever seen. And now 
Yahweh, God of Israel, keep, there it is, that word again, guard, keep for your servant, David, my father, that which you spoke to him saying, you shall never lack a man before me sitting on the throne of Israel. If only your children take heed to their way, walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now, just stop right here. Um, fast forward from this era to the time of, of uh, Babylonian captivity and Ezekiel, the prophet. When, when, when Jerusalem fell to Nebuchadnezzar, his forces, and when the temple was desecrated and violated and Gentiles walked right into the holy and then the holy of holies and brought out the vessels of gold and the precious things of the temple and laughed and mocked saying there is no God. Well, looking at that in Ezekiel, if you go back just a few chapters, two or three or four chapters, there is this account of how Ezekiel is lifted sort of in, a, in the spirit, I guess. And he is permitted to see what is really happening at the temple. The Levitical priesthood, the priests in the tunnels that had been built beneath the temple had etched in images of false gods and they were worshiping false gods just under the foundation of the temple itself. It was unbelievable. You know, Yahweh said their heart is not in this. And I know it. And then Ezekiel saw himself how the glory of Yahweh actually left the temple. Now, as long as Yahweh, of, of course, as long as his presence had, had been seen to be there, well, you know, nothing could happen. But because of the sin of the people, God, whose prophets had warned that this was going to happen, God, the presence, his, his, his presence in the sense that it was, it was there with his people, he left because they had... They had, what, what did they do? Well, they didn't walk in his law and they didn't walk before Yahweh. With that said, let's go on now to verse 17. And now, Yahweh, God of Israel, let your word come true, which you spoke to your servant, to David. That is the establishment of this temple. But will Elohim indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you much less this house that I have built. There is a beautiful scientific truth here, and it is this. The atmospheric heaven, the outer space heaven, and the heaven above that heaven, the third heaven, not any heaven. The heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain who Yahweh really is. These are all, these are all his um, creation. And he's greater than his creation. And it's a wonderful acknowledgement from the people of God. We have something here to honor your name and to worship you according to your will and purpose and direction and word. But we also understand that you can't be contained in a structure like this. Behold, the heaven and heavens of heavens cannot contain you, much less this house that I've built. And you shall turn to your servant's prayer and to his supplication, Yahweh Elohim, O my God, and hearken to the cry uh, and the, to the prayer of your servant praying before you. 
that your eyes may be open toward this house day and night toward the place in which you said that you would put your name to hearken to the prayer that your servant will pray in this place. So he's going to pray. We're going to look at it where he's going to pray about a lot of circumstances that are possible. He's going to pray against them. But whatever happens, it will happen not because of the circumstances of the world, not because, for example, Ashurbanipal or, or uh, Tiglath-Pileser, or any of those Assyrian guys or, or Nebuchadnezzar, not because they were so good and tough as kings, it's because God purposed it to be so and he raised up those nations to punish his sinful people. So whatever happens in their history... God deems it so that he might purify them from the sin that he's going to mention they might fall into. So let's look at it. To hearken to the prayer that your servant will pray in this place. And you shall hearken to the supplications of your servant and your people Israel. When they will pray toward this place, you shall hear from your abode from heaven and you shall hear and forgive. So what's the nature of people coming to the temple? Well, the, the nature, you remember Jesus said, this, this, my father's house is a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. We have a need to be accepted by our God and to have our sins to be forgiven. So he starts out here, your people, they're going to offer supplications and they're going to pray toward this place because you're the only one who can forgive our sins and you shall hear and forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor, an oath be exacted to him to cause him to swear an oath. And he come and swear an oath before your altar in this house. You shall hear from heaven. Now, Kings puts it a little different. You shall hear in heaven. You put those two together. You shall hear from in heaven. It's like, it's like the counsel of the Godhead. In other words, he shall hear in heaven and from within heaven and then execute his will. And do and judge your servants to recompense the wicked, to bring his way upon his head, to justify the righteous and to give him according to his righteousness. And if your people Struck, your people Israel is struck down before the enemy because they sin against you and they repent and confess to your name and pray and make supplication before you in this house. You shall hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land that you gave to them and to their fathers. So whatever happens, if they fall before their enemies, it is because they sinned. If they are reestablished, it is because it is by the will of Yahweh who keeps his eye on his people and they have confessed and repented and he raises them up again by forgiving their sin. Bring them back to the land which you gave to them and uh, to their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they've sinned against you and they pray toward this place and confess to your name and repent of their sin so that you may answer them. The consequences are out of the hands of the people of God. It is all of God. 
And we need him to forgive and to respond and to give us life and strength. You shall hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and your people Israel. For you will teach them the good way wherein they should walk and you shall give rain upon your land which you have given your people for an inheritance. And if there be famine in the land, if there be pestilence, if there be blast, mildew, increasing locusts, finishing locusts, if their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatsoever plague, whatsoever sickness there be, any prayer, any supplication which will be made by any man or by all your people Israel, every man shall know his plague and his pain and spread forth his hands toward this house. In other words, he'll know that he is in sin. And you shall hear from heaven your dwelling and forgive and give to each man according to his ways whose heart you know. Yahweh knows when they are really turning back to him. For you alone know the hearts of the children of men that they may fear you to go into your ways all the days that they live on the face of the land that you gave our fathers. And also to the stranger who is not of your people Israel, but will come from a distant land because of your great name, your strong hand and your outstretched arm. And they will come and pray toward this house. Now this, well, let me go back into another, another verse then I'll say what I want to say. You shall hear from heaven, from your dwelling place, you shall do whatever the stranger calls upon you, that all the peoples of the earth may know your name to fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that your name is called upon this house which I have built. Okay. Israel is called out from among the nations to be the priests of God to the world. And once established, uh, as they were established as a nation, a theocracy, they had a, they had a call upon their lives to exalt the name of Yahweh to all the peoples of the earth. But by the time Christ comes in, in the gospels, it's totally opposite. They've withdrawn, they've introverted, they think they're better than anybody else. They refuse to share the great God with other people. And of course the great God comes and corrects all that. Uh, but uh, this, is, this is where they go to. They did not fulfill what they were sent to do in this case with regard uh, to all the people of, of the earth, all the nations of the earth. If your people go out to battle against their enemy by whatever you send them, by whatever way you send them, and pray to you toward this city which you have chosen and the house that I've built for your name, you shall hear from heaven their prayer and supplication and maintain their cause. Whatever happens to them in blessing, it isn't because they did it. It's because Yahweh does it. If they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin. And you will be angry with them and deliver them to the enemy. And their captors will carry them into captivity to a land far or near. There is no man who does not sin. Thus the temple, thus the sacrifices, thus the priesthood, thus the law that people could understand how to identify sin. And then all of those uh, allowances for sacrifices and rituals, God, when he gave his law, knowing that no man could keep the law. There is no man who does not sin. So this is the importance again of the temple. 
that the people continually look toward Yahweh uh, for help far near. And they come to themselves in the land where they uh, were carried off into captivity and repent and make supplications to you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned and have dealt perversely and we have committed wickedness. And they return to you with all their heart, with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they, were, where, uh, where they led them away, <clears throat> captives, and pray toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, and the city that you chose, and toward the house that I built for your name, you shall hear from heaven, from your dwelling place, their prayer and supplications, and maintain their cause, and you shall forgive your people who sinned against you. Now, my God, now Elohim, my, my, now my God, our God, may your eyes now be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh our God, Yahweh God, to your resting place, you in the ark of your might, your priests, Yahweh Elohim, shall be attired with salvation and your pious ones, your saints, shall rejoice with the goodness. Yahweh Elohim, do not turn back the face of your anointed one. Remember the kind deeds of David, your servant. That's kind of lengthy. Now let's look at what First Kings says with regard to the same thing. Solomon stood before the altar of Yahweh in the presence of all the congregation of Israel, spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, Yahweh, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath who keeps covenant and mercy with your servants that walk before you with all of their heart. Who has kept, there's that word again, who has kept with your servant David, my father, that which you spoke to him and you spoke with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. And now, uh, Lord God of Israel, Keep with your servant David, my father, that which you spoke to him, saying, There shall not fail you a man before me to sit on the throne of Israel, if only your children take heed to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. And now, uh, our God, God of Israel, please let your word come true, which you spoke to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, much less this temple that I have erected. And you shall turn toward your servant's prayer and to his supplication, Yahweh Elohe, Yahweh God, and hearken to the song and to the prayer that your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day, toward the place which you said my name will be there to listen to the prayer that your servant will pray toward this place and you shall listen to the supplication of your servant, your people Israel, that they will pray toward this place and you shall hear in heaven your abode and you shall hear and forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor and an oath be exacted of him to cause him to swear or to swear an oath, he come and swear that oath before your altar in this house and you shall hear in heaven and do and judge your servants. An assurance that in the proper worship of Yahweh, our prayers are lifted up to Yahweh and he hears. And judge your servants, condemning the wicked to bring his way upon his head and justifying the righteous to give him according to his righteousness. When your people Israel are struck down before the enemy because they sin against you and shall turn again to you and praise your name and pray and make supplication to you in this house 
And you shall hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you and they shall pray toward this place and praise your name and repent of their sin so that you may answer them. And you shall hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and of your people Israel. When you teach them the good way wherein they should walk and give rain upon your land, which you have given to your people for uh, an inheritance. If there be famine in the land, if there be pestilence, blasting, yellowing locusts, or if there be destroying locusts, if their enemy besiege them in the land of their cities, whatsoever plague, whatsoever sickness there be, any prayer, any supplication which will be made by any man or all, uh, or by all your people Israel, who shall know every man the plague of his own heart and spread forth his hands uh, toward this house. And you shall hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and do and give to every man according to his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all of the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers and also to the stranger, who is not of your people Israel, but will come from a far country for the sake of your name. For they shall hear of your great name and of your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, and he will come and pray toward this house. You shall hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all that the stranger calls you for, that all the peoples of the earth may know your name, to fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that your name is called upon this house uh, that I've built. Your people go out to battle against their enemy by what way you send them and pray to Yahweh toward the city that you've chosen and toward the house that I've built for your name and you shall hear in heaven with their prayer and supplication and you shall maintain their cause. If they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin and you will be angry with them and deliver them to the enemy and their captors will gather, uh, will carry them away captive to the land of the enemy far or near and they shall come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captors saying, we've sinned and have done perversely. We have committed wickedness. They shall return to you with all their heart, with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to, uh, to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house which I have built for your name. And you shall hear the prayer and their supplications in heaven, your dwelling place and maintain their cause and forgive your people what they have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have transgressed against you and give mercy before their captors that they may have mercy on them. For they are your people and your inheritance, whom you have taken out of Egypt from within the smelting furnace of iron, that your eyes may be opened to the supplication of your servant and to the supplications of your people Israel, to hearken to them whenever they call to you. For you set them apart from among all the peoples of the earth. Your inheritance, as you spoke through Moses, your servant, when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, Yahweh Elohim, now here's his benediction and it closes out what we're looking at tonight. And this is only here. It's not in second Chronicles. And it was as Solomon finished praying all this prayer and supplication to Yahweh 
But he arose from before the altar of Yahweh, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread out toward heaven. And he stood and blessed the entire congregation of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be Yahweh who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he spoke, there has not failed one word of all his good word that he spoke through Moses his servant. May Yahweh our God be with us and as he was with our forefathers, let him not leave us nor forsake us. That he may incline our hearts to him. Notice that, that he may do what he wants to, that our hearts be inclined to him. To go in all of his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes, his judgments which he commanded our forefathers. And may these words of mine, with which I have made supplication before Yahweh, be close to Yahweh our God day and night, that he sustain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel. Each day's need granted on its day so that all the peoples of the earth may know that Yahweh, 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 there is none else. There's none but him. Let all your heart therefore be whole with Yahweh, uh, uh, our God, to follow his statutes and to keep his precepts as of this day. Well, that was a good prayer, wasn't it? Reminds me of a guy we used to have at church, but uh he was as eloquent as this. Okay, so we pick it up from there, but this, this is the dedication, and now the Lord's people will begin to serve Yahweh in this special way of worship because the, now uh, the temple, uh, after, after certain uh, incidentals are taken care of, uh, the worship in the temple will go into action. There's several things to take from this. Of course, number one, the truthfulness of the word of God and the absolute assurance that he will do what he has said he will do. And it works itself out in time according to the will and purpose of God. God's desire to identify his people as his own and to work from heaven to do whatever it takes that they may maintain their cause, even if they have to go into captivity or lose a battle or f- suffer plague and sickness, it draws them back to Yahweh. And this is, the, remember everything, Yahweh takes responsibility for it. We said it, I had it underlined all the way through this rather lengthy passage of scripture so that all things are working together for the good of those, right? That are the call according to God according to his purpose. So he leads his people along. He is ever ready to forgive them. And he works even in the circumstances of life, things that we could never control, that he might work to continue to bring us into a close relationship with him, even during those times where confession and repentance and brokenness are Required. Okay, we'll stop there and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.